Have you ever, ever had a time in your life when you didn't feel like yourself? Maybe you're tired, you're irritable, maybe short-tempered, a little angry. Maybe you had a, a bad attitude about something. Maybe you're a little bit difficult to live with. And a lot, a lot of you are thinking, Jonathan, you just described the person that I've been living with for the last five months. But I think a lot of us haven't been ourselves over the last five months. And it's been great for all of our families to spend time together, but maybe it's a little bit too much time. I know our daughter, Julia, was really excited on Thursday to head back to college for her senior year. I don't know about you, but I don't think many of us have been ourselves over the last five months. Our world is on edge. It's like a powder keg waiting to explode. It's like a, a pot on the stove where the water is just about to boil over. It's really hard for us to be ourselves when we're living in uncertainty and, and chaos. A couple of months ago, Jennifer and I, it was a Friday night and we were hanging out in the backyard and, and, and uh, Jennifer left her phone inside and, and we began to talk and we normally have this conversation every day like, what's for dinner? Like, what, what are we gonna eat? You know, what's, what's for dinner? And so we, we go inside and Jennifer checks her phone and she had a text message from a friend. Hey, pray for my husband, he's on the SWAT team. They're in downtown Atlanta and things are getting violent. This is Friday night. So I, so I turn on the TV. And so for the next two hours, three hours, I'm like consumed with, with what's going on in downtown Atlanta. There were protesters and there were rioters and they were smashing out windows and looting stores and yelling at police officers and cussing out police officers and, and throwing bottles of urine at police officers. I mean, it was just chaos. I couldn't believe my eyes. And then I see this masked man jump on top of a police car and he's just bouncing up and down in a police car and then he sets it on fire. Like this police car is on fire and I'm thinking it's about to explode. I mean, there's, there's people all around. It's, it's utter chaos. And then it hit me. This is happening 45 minutes from my house a little bit too close to home. <laughs> and so my first thought is, well, do I need to get my, my rifle out? You know, do I need to like gun up here? Like, and then I started texting my friends who I knew were strong Christians and pastors. Are you still here? Like, are you still on earth? Cause I want to make sure I didn't get left behind. <laughs> like I want to make sure like the rapture didn't happen and I'm, I'm still here. But it was, it was chaos, it was crazy. And I was thinking, where's, where is the law in order? We are living in chaos. I think the last five months have been difficult for all of us because we've been outside of our normal routines. I put on a quarantine 15, I don't know if you can tell, but I put on a quarantine 15. We were eating break and bake cookies most nights of the week. I'm watching way too much Netflix. I'm waking up in the morning, I'm not gonna shower today. I'm just throwing on sweatpants and gym shorts. You ask me what day of the week it was, I have no idea. 
I didn't even know what day of the week it was. Like every day is Groundhog Day. It's like the same day over and over. We weren't even coming to church on Sundays. Like we were recording on Thursdays and I'm waking up on Sunday morning, sleeping in, sitting in my recliner, watching myself on YouTube. It was crazy. It was so strange. Sometimes I feel like we're living in an episode of Stranger Things. Or for those of you who are older, the Twilight Zone. Like it's just crazy. The world that we're living in right now. On Tuesday of this week, we have our all staff meeting where all the staff come from all the campuses and, and we have a meeting. There's social distance across the auditorium. Everyone's wearing masks. I can't, I can't see facial expressions. I'm having to use a microphone just to share with our Greystone staff team. Our world has been turned upside down. And it seems like every day there's a new drama. Like it's something new every day. There's like new stress every day. I read this article this weekend in Yahoo News. And the title of the article says, Pandemic has driven Americans to depression and drinking, CDC says. And so I want to read the first couple of paragraphs of the article. It says, the coronavirus pandemic has led to a marked deterioration in Americans' mental health, according to a new Centers for Disease Control and Prevention study made public on Thursday. The study, which surveyed 5,412 Americans, found that 40.9% of respondents reported at least one adverse mental or behavioral health condition. That's almost half. According to the new study, 31% of respondents were suffering from symptoms of anxiety or depression. 26% experienced symptoms of traumatic disorder. 13% were using drugs or alcohol more heavily or for the first time to cope with the pandemic. And 11% had seriously contemplated suicide. This is the world we're living in. This is our new normal. We're in this series called Back to the Future. And last week I talked about getting back to God, getting back to our relationship with Him, getting back to the mountain of the Lord, getting back into His presence. And the best way to get back into the presence of God is to get into the Word of God. And we talked about building our lives upon the foundation of God's Word. And we challenged all of our church to read our, our daily Bible reading plan called Back to the Future. And if you haven't been reading this plan, I'm going to encourage you to, there's a copy at Guest Services. It's on our app. It's also on the Version Bible app. Just, just search Back to the Future Bible reading plan. Today, I want to talk about getting back to ourselves, getting back to the person that God created you to be, Get, getting, getting back to you. You be you, because you're the only you that God has created. And so God's solution for us to get back to ourselves is two things. The first is support. We need relational support in our lives. First, we want to make sure that we're connected to God, that we have a right vertical relationship with God. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we talked about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. We talked about getting off to lonely places and praying and spending time with God and making sure we're connected to Him. We looked at the Lord's Prayer. 
and how we're to yield ourselves to, to God's purposes and His plan for our lives. Last week, we talked about the, the Word of God and, and studying God's Word and applying it to our lives. So we need to make sure we're connected to God, we have a right relationship with Him, and then we need to make sure we're connected to one another, our horizontal relationships. Do you have a strong support group, strong family, strong friends? You're involved in small group and, and fellowship, and you're staying relationally connected to people, especially those of you who are still quarantined, like you're getting connected to people. The second thing that God's solution for us to get back to ourselves is structure. Structure is good for us. We need structure and stability. So last week we talked about building our lives on a solid foundation. Today I want to talk about the structure that we are building, the lives that we're, that we're actually building. Now we've all experienced a crisis. Whether you have recognized this or not, we've all been through a crisis. Like 2020 and, and the pandemic, we're gonna think about this just like we think about 9-11. We all know where we were when 9-11 when hit. We're going through a crisis. And one of the things that the doctors and the experts learned after 9-11 with the survivors is that most of them were suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And the best thing that they could do for all of these survivors who were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder was for them to get back to work, to try to get back to some normalcy in life because work creates structure. Work is good for us. A lot, a lot of people think that work is punishment, that, that work didn't come till after the fall and, and it's punishment from the fall, Genesis chapter three. But really God established responsibility and work in Genesis chapter two. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and tend the garden and to rule the earth. Like he gave them responsibility. He gave them work. Work is good for us. School is good for us because it's structure. Our kids need to go to school. We need to go to work. Work gives us structure because we wake up early. We actually take a shower. We put on some clothes, right? We, we, we go about our, our day and we see people and we have meetings and team meetings and we have goals and we have plans. And then we take breaks and we socialize with those people we work with or maybe we go to lunch with those people we, we work with. And then after work, we go to the gym and we work out and we exercise and we eat dinner. And then in the evening, we might have a kid's sporting event. One of our kids is, has a practice or has, has a game or, or we go to small group or we have homework. Like structure is good for us. Structure in life creates calmness. Predictability creates peace. Let me say that again. Predictability creates peace. 1 Corinthians 14, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. God's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. He's a God of structure. And structure creates peace in our lives. Look at the creation story. Genesis chapter 1. Verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens 
and the earth. And he created the moon and the, and the stars and the sun. And he created uh, the expanse in the sky and, and the ground below. And he created the, the, divided the waters from the land. God creates everything and he creates order. And the first day was over, right? And it was, it, was, it was day and then it was night. And we see this order of creation all the way through the six days of the week. And it says on the seventh day, God rested. There was day and there was night. And there's structure to our lives. Day and night and seven days a week and 52 weeks of the year and 365 days of the year. There's... There's structure. God is the creator of the universe, and he's also the sustainer of the universe. God created a built-in order and a structure for our lives. We need order and structure to thrive. And so we need work, and we need school, and we need church. And I'm just going to let you guys know, we're going to do everything humanly possible to keep the doors of our church open for good, Okay. Because church is essential. We need routines. We need sports and recreation. We need to work out and to exercise. And we need fellowship. We need, we need small group and relationships with one another. Structure is good. Structure brings discipline into our lives. You may have heard, heard this famous saying, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. I've seen it in guys working out at the gym or you see someone on the, on the, uh, up on the mountain skiing. You know, no pain, no gain. This is a biblical principle. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline is not pleasant. <laughs> discipline is painful. But discipline produces a harvest. You know, all of our disciplines are tied into one another. And you might think, well, well diet and exercise has nothing to do with my spiritual life. But actually, it does. Because if we eat unhealthy and we're lazy and lethargic, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, okay? And then we don't exercise and we don't work out and we don't burn off those calories. Or we have too many sodas at night and we can't sleep well. And then we can't wake up in the morning in enough time before work to, to have our time alone with God, to get off to those lonely places and pray and to put on the full armor of God to protect ourselves. When we go out into the world, we're, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to sin. We're vulnerable to temptation. So if you're lazy in one discipline, it carries over into the other disciplines of your life. And it's just easy. If you're slack in one area, it's easy just to be slack in another area. The discipline to eat healthy is painful. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. <laughs> It's, it's painful, but it is very profitable. If we discipline ourselves, we will reap a harvest. 
If you want to get an athletic scholarship to college, you have to discipline yourself to get in the weight room and to train and work out. If you want to get a college degree, you better go to class. You better discipline yourself to wake up and go to class and study hard. If you want to make money in sales, you better discipline yourself to make the calls. Like pick up the phone, 100 calls a day. We're going we're to make 100 calls a day. You reap what you sow. No pain, no gain. Predictability creates peace. No pain, no gain. And health is wealth. You've probably heard this popular saying, health is wealth. But the objective or goal is to be healthy in every area of our lives. We were looking at this study earlier. So many people right now are struggling with mental health issues. We need to win the battle of our minds, to take captive every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ, to take the lies that we're believing and replace them with the truth of God's Word. Emotional health. When we are emotionally unhealthy, it leads to all kinds of coping issues. Drugs, alcohol, food, pornography, gambling, shopping, social media. Addictions can be very expensive. We want to be financially healthy. If we spend more money than's coming in, if we have more debits than credits, we're going to live in debt. And debt is very, very expensive. And it's really hard to build wealth if you can't dig yourself out of the hole of debt. Marital health. Unhealthy marriages can lead to affairs, and affairs can lead to divorce. Divorce is very expensive, and no one wins. It's unhealthy for everyone, especially the kids. And then there's spiritual health. True wealth, spiritual wealth, doesn't come in this life. It comes in the life to come. Jesus talks about storing up treasures in heaven. That's how we build true spiritual wealth. And so the application today is to get back to yourself, to get back to the person that God created you to be. And we've already acknowledged we're living in a crazy time. We're living in a very difficult time. But we have to get back to ourselves, get back to the person God created you to be. We asked one of our friends, Meredith Bowman, to share her testimony and share her story of how she came back to God and how she came back to herself. And so let, let's watch uh, Meredith share her story. So I grew up in a loving Christian home my parents really modeled what a genuine Christian faith was for my brother and sister and I. And I began my own walk with the Lord around the age of eight, when I was also baptized at that time. I gradually but eventually stopped going to church altogether, and I started drinking. Um, I always felt at that time like I was a little bit inadequate 
Because of course, if I was trying to live up to the worldly standard of who they said I should be, I wasn't going to live up to that. So I started using alcohol to kind of water down that feeling of inadequacy. Several years after college, I married my husband, Brian. And then a few years after that, we had our first son, Beau. With becoming a mom, all of those new stressors came into my life. I was always worried about him. I was always thinking of the future. The future was unknown. And so my anxiety rose again. And I also started to compare myself to everybody else on social media in my same walk of life. And I never felt like I was as good of a wife and a mom as this person or that person. Brian and I had started attending Greystone by this point, but I wasn't at the place where I could take those thoughts captive and cast them toward Christ. So I just let them sit and grow. Jonathan challenged the church that if you weren't coming regularly to come 36 times that year. So on the way home, Brian and I discussed that and we thought that would be best for our family. So we decided to do that. Looking back on that now, I think that might've elevated the spiritual warfare that was already going on in my mind because we were at church every week after that. We didn't miss a Sunday. And every week I walked in with guilt and shame because I knew that the lifestyle I was leading was sinful. I knew it in my heart. So that year I tried to control my drinking many different ways. And the more I tried to control it, the worse it got. My drinking had become so detrimental to our family and our marriage that Brian just said this couldn't, we couldn't continue down this path. And I agreed. So I sought help for alcoholism. I immediately knew that if there was gonna be any lasting change in my life, it would be because of God. I held on to 1 John 1, 9, that says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So when I knew and understood that I was forgiven, the shame began to lift and life just started to look so different. I learned that alcohol only is a fuel for anxiety and the only cure for mine was learning who God truly was, who He tells us He is in His Word. During that time, Brian and I immersed ourselves in the church. We were here weekly, we started serving, and we joined a small group. And for the first time in a long time, I felt like I was no longer a captive to alcohol. I felt free in Christ, and I felt like I really could be the person that God meant for me to be. proud of Meredith having the courage to to share her story and uh, Brian and Meredith they were in our small group a, a, a couple of years ago it's been so neat to see them uh, growing spiritually and raising their family uh, in the church and Meredith's going to be a big part we're beginning a recovery ministry and she's going to be leading the women's side of the addiction uh, ministry there but if you want to get involved in recovery ministry right now we have about 25 leaders who are going to be involved in that uh, Jennifer's heading it up. Alan uh, Smith, our small groups pastor, is going to be a part of it as well. So we'd love for you to join that when we launch small groups. Meredith mentioned at the end, she said she was able to get back to who God wanted her to be. She was able to get back to who God had created her uh, to be. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today is to get back to who it is that God wants you to be. God created every one of us with a very unique purpose in life. Like, yes, our, our, our mission is to know God and make God known, but, but within that, every single one of us, God has given us gifts and abilities, and he has created us in such a way for us to do something that nobody else in the world 
can do. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I, I want to encourage you today to get back to your mission and purpose in life. Get back to living for something that's so much bigger than yourself. Get back to your calling in life. Get back to what it is that motivates you to get out of bed in the morning. Get back to living the purpose-driven life. I want to close the message today by sharing with you a part of the Apostle Peter's story. The Apostle Peter was a fisherman. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so for three years, Peter follows closely Jesus. And on that Thursday night, Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And Jesus shares with them that he's going to be betrayed and all the disciples are going to scatter. And Peter says, they may all quit following you, but I will die for you. And Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows this morning. And so Jesus betrayed and he's arrested and all the disciples scatter. And Peter's kind of following Jesus at a distance. And Peter's warming himself by the fire outside of the Caiaphas' house where Jesus is put on trial. And this little girl asks him if he's one of Jesus' disciples. And he denies even knowing Jesus. He says, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know the man. And then he heard the rooster crow. And Peter is devastated because he's fallen away from Christ. He's, he's denied Jesus. He feels so guilty. And Peter goes back to Capernaum. And he goes back to the Sea of Galilee. And he goes back to doing what he was doing before he was a follower of Jesus. He says, I'm going to go fishing. And six of the other disciples say, hey, we're going to go fishing with you. And so they go fishing and they spend the entire night fishing. And they don't catch anything, which is a lot like some of my fishing trips, right? But the sun comes up the next morning because the sun always comes up the next morning. Because God is a God of order. God's mercies are new every morning. And Jesus is standing on the shore. And they don't recognize him. He's the risen Savior. He's conquered sin and death and hell and risen from the grave. And he's appearing before his disciples. And he yells out to the disciples. They're about 100 yards off the shore. And he says, have you caught anything? They said, no, we haven't, haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, throw the nets on the right side of the boat. And so they, you know, they throw the cast nets on the right side of the boat. And they catch 153 large fish. An incredible miracle. And John, the disciple, recognizes this Jesus. He says, this Jesus is our Savior. He's our Messiah. And in Peter fashion, right, Peter dives off the boat and swims to shore. They come dragging all the fish behind. 
where Jesus is waiting for them at the shore. And he has a fire going and he has breakfast going. He has bread and he already has fish and he's cooking them breakfast. Now that word for fire in the Greek was charcoal fire. And that word in the Greek was only used twice in the Gospel of John. It was used here at the seashore. And it was used in John chapter 18, verse 18, when Peter was warming himself by the fire and the young girl asked him if he's a follower of Jesus and he denies Jesus. So Jesus is bringing Peter back to that moment, reminding him of that moment and that denial. And after breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside. And he doesn't call him by his name, Peter. He says, Simon, son of John. He calls him by his pre-Christian name because Peter had gone back to living the life he had lived before he knew Jesus. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And a second time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, take care of my lambs. And then a third time, I remember Jesus, uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times. So Jesus is driving the point home. So he asked him a third time. And Peter's a little bit embarrassed. He's a little bit humiliated. He's a little bit frustrated. But Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, we'll be a shepherd to my sheep. And Jesus reinstates Peter. Peter had fallen away from Christ and was going back to his old life. And Jesus brings him back to himself. And he brings him back to his mission in life. And he brings him back to his calling. Because he had called Jesus to, he had called Peter to follow him. And I'll make you fishers of men. So not only does he bring Peter back to himself, but he gets Peter back on his mission in life. And that's my challenge to you. And I think we can all relate to Peter because there's all, all the times in all of our lives when we, we fall away and we kind of go back to our old way of living. And God has drawn us back to himself. And that's my challenge to us today is, is to get back to your calling. Get back to who God created you to be. Get back to being the best version of yourself. Get back to your God-given gift and calling. Get back to living your life on purpose and living your life for a meeting and living your life for something that's so much bigger than yourself. We're just seeing lives change for all eternity. So I'll ask you, as Jesus asked Peter, do you love Jesus? Then get back to your calling. Do you love Jesus? Then get back to who God created you to be. Do you love Jesus? Then get back 
to who God wants you to be. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for the story of Peter, and I think we can all relate to, to Peter because we've all experienced ups and downs, and we've all had tremendous faith at times and tremendous boldness for you. But we've all stumbled and fallen. We've all gone our own way. And God, over the last four or five months, it's just been some crazy times to live. And a lot of us haven't been ourselves, and we've gotten out of our routines, and, and we've gotten off mission and off purpose. And I pray today, God, that we would come back to you. We'd come back to that relationship with you. We'd come back into your presence and we get back on purpose, that we get back to living our lives for something bigger than ourselves, building your church and building your kingdom and seeing lives change for all eternity. God, I pray for each of us that we would get back to our God-given calling, how you have created us and made us. And I pray today, God, that we can get back to living our lives how you want us to live our lives. Waking up each day with purpose and with meaning and with significance. I pray today, God, that we can confess our sins and we can run to you and get back to being the person that you have created us to be. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.